now and you may take your seat this morning. Singing great today, great to have you in church on this incredible uh, Sunday. Isn't it great weather? <laughs> it's a bit cooler than normal, but anybody who comes from another colder climate would probably say it's not that cold, but um, you know, cold enough to fast glads nights, isn't it? But it's beautiful weather, really. I want to turn your attention this morning uh, to Matthew chapter 6 again. We've been looking at a, a little passage of scripture and just digging into it. And uh, it was the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 31 to 34. And he said this. This is, uh, this is that's verse 33, but let me read a couple of verses around it. It says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Hey, by the way, those who don't know about high school chaplaincy or primary school chaplaincy in our church, or in our city, not just our church, it's a thriving thing. And that's what Pastor Malcolm was talking about. Because yesterday there was a 100-kilometer ride to raise money for chaplaincy in Gladstone. And when he said 23, that was 23,000. So just so that those who don't know, that's what we're talking about. And, um, and there's a trophy was all about because we happen to have a team that raised the most money. So that's what that's about. Is that cool? We all know that. And some of us don't, so I just thought I'd explain that to you. So that's brilliant. Where are we up to? Uh, verse 32. For those, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, um, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And then verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of um, God and his um, righteousness. I just thought I wanted a response for you. I can read. But <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all. And it says, um, not just some. Isn't it incredible? We have a God of the all, that all the things that are necessary in life. He wants to provide. He says, all these things shall be added to you. Um, what a great promise for us for this morning. What a great, uh, great words that Jesus spoke. He spoke a lot of words at this time in Matthew chapter 5. It was a famous sermon that he preached. They call it the Sermon on the Mount because um, he was preaching from a vantage point where thousands of people were kind of sitting in a natural amphitheater and he would speak and they would listen. He didn't have amplification and, uh, and they heard his words. I was uh, interested in this word first. We've been kind of just giving that attention in the last several weeks. But the word first is incredibly interested. I, interesting. I was reading a story about a, a scientist, a nuclear scientist called Ernest Rutherford. Ernest Rutherford... Uh, in uh, around the early 1900s, uh, was discovering things like atoms. And, um, and you know what atoms are. Atoms, actual fact, you've got 100, 100 tr around 100 trillion atoms in not just your body, but in every human cell in your body. That's a fair few, isn't it? 100 trillion atoms, approximately, in every cell in your body. Did you know how many human cells you got in your body? You got about the same number of human cells in your body. So 100 trillion human cells, and every one of those human cells is 100 trillion atoms. I just thought I'd give you that just for your excitement today. I know you're incredibly excited about that thought. But, but um, Ernest Rutherford kind of discovered the, the, the parts of the atom, and he discovered not just the atom, but parts of it, but he discovered in the atom there's some, there's some um, particles, subatomic particles that exist, and, and um, he was pretty excited because he discovered this positive, positive charge subatomic partic um, particle that lived in an atom, and, and in, in, in 1920 he discovered it, and he said, you know what, I, I need to call that something, and he said, you know what, I'll call it, because he thought of 
because this little, um, this little positive charged particle in an atom was kind of like the building blocks of life. It was, it was like, you know, because you know that you know, your, your body is made up of atoms and human cells, but, it, this, but boil right down, it's what's in an atom that actually is the building block of your life. And he, Ernest Rutherford, the scientist, said, what could I call this? And so he, he called upon, he looked at all the Greek words, and he was trying to find something that meant kind of foremost or first. And he found a Greek word that Jesus spoke here, uh, and it was P-R-O-T-O-N. Anybody can know what that word actually says in English? It's proton. Anybody remember grade 10 chemistry? And there was a, in an atom, there's a proton, and there's an electron, and then there's a neutron. And the proton is that positively charged subatomic particle in the atom. And, and you and I have lots of them. I mean, a hundred trillion times a hundred trillion of them in your body today running around. Do you feeling good? Because you've got them running around in your body. Pretty exciting. You know, they don't. They keep you alive. In actual fact, everything's made of atoms, isn't it? That fan, that, that speaker, that chair, everything. Isn't it incredible? And so if you kind of break it down, an atom has these little particles called protons in them. And Ernest Rutherford said, you know what I'll call this positive charge particle? I'll call it a proton because it, it was first. It's the building block of life. And here Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, he says, you know what? The, the, the very proton of life is to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. The very building block of life is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It's the very thing that's a, uh, that, that gives life. And as I con contemplated that thought, the reality is, is that sometimes I realize Jesus was saying, because he says earlier, he says, you know, whatever you, don't worry about things you're going to eat or drink or, or wear. Who knows that the world worries about that all the time? <laughs> we have cooking shows that are, that are specifically um, aligned to cooking incredible food. I mean, I, I kind of sit down and watch it for 20 minutes with my wife and then get bored at those cooking shows. But, you know, she, apparently she enjoys that type of stuff. And so food is a big thing in our agenda. Um, certainly clothing, everybody wants to wear, you know, not everybody, but, you know, it, it seems to be high fashion. You know, got to wear the latest and greatest. And, and Jesus says, would you do something for me? Don't worry about that. Because they're not the building blocks of life. What you look like today, as good as I try to look, my wife always gives me a critique every morning. She says, don't wear that. So I change it and wear something else. <laughs> I went to her this morning and said, how am I looking? She says, you know, you're looking okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> she said, the shoes don't go, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I said, thank you for your encouragement. Gentlemen, if your wife ever says, how do I look? Just say, I don't know. Because <laughs> if you say yes, if you say yes, she'll say, I don't. Oh, if she, and if you say no, you're in real trouble. But um, anyway, so we know that the building blocks of life are not the outward, this outward shell. It's not, it's not even what you put into your body through food and drink. They're not, and some people get that misunderstood in the world because the world centers itself around sometimes that very fact of stuff and material possessions and the things. Do you know what? The food that we eat and the, the, every, the clothing that we have, the reality is it sustains our life, but it's not the building block of life. The things around 
that, that and, and, and the world gets so centered on that. They put it first in their lives, thinking that's what will make me. That's what will build my life. And, 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 you know, if only I have the two-car garage, not the one-car, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But it does it. That might sustain you, but it won't build your life. Jesus says there's something that's going to build your life, and, and it's something that's not material. He says it's the kingdom of God, and it's my righteousness. Now, if you think about the kingdom of God, it, it was never going to be a physical bricks-and-mortar kingdom, was it? Jesus' kingdom was, he wasn't talking about something physical. He was talking about, when he talks about the kingdom of God, it was invisible. It's like the little subatomic particle in an atom called the proton. You can't see it. Um, somehow they worked out how to realize it was there, but you can't see it. It's invisible. And God's kingdom in that sense is invisible because it's not bricks and mortar, but it's in the hearts and lives of you and me this morning. That's where the kingdom of God exists. Attitudes, emotions, thoughts and processes and everything about us is where God wants his kingdom to exist. And as for the righteousness of God, um, it's another thing. You can't see the righteousness of God. It's not my righteousness this morning. It's his righteousness because my righteousness is pretty bad. You know, the people in the world get so caught up in the material world of this kingdom, the earthly kingdom, they get so caught up in their own righteousness. And, and sometimes we don't get so much caught up in it, but we just think it through and we think, well, I'm good enough before God. Uh, you know, um, uh, I'm okay. I'm right. I'd like to think that I'm right. I think we should all be right, but I can only be right when I come to the Lord Jesus Christ and God sees me through Jesus, that's why it's his righteousness, because my righteousness apparently is like just a filthy rag. Isn't that a great description? Filthy rag, oily, dirty rag, and the Bible says that's what you're righteous, because I can't reach perfection. So we see God's kingdom says it's invisible, but it's, it's not really because it's reflected through the believers in Jesus Christ. His kingdom is in your hearts and not a material world. So it, he was saying you've got to put things first. You've got to put the proton of things first. You've got to put the building blocks into life first um, if you really want to reflect my kingdom. Um, Jesus identifies that life is um, not determined by doing certain things. It's determined by doing certain things first. There's a difference because we can all do a lot of stuff, but there's certain things that we need to do first. He says, if you put those things first, you'll find that life will go so much better. In actual fact, I think we can understand whatever you put first will determine what comes next. If you put his kingdom and the things that are good for your life first, you'll find that blessing flows. If you continue to live from an earthly perspective and in the worldly perspective in the sense of putting what, you know, um, money, 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 for instance, is what we kind of mentioned last week. Put that first, you'll find that, you know, it'll only sustain you for so long. Maybe you think, well, you know, because you can't die and Take it with you. We all understand that. But putting his kingdom first, in actual fact, if you, if you look after the things that are first in your life in God's kingdom, it says, in actual fact, Jesus says, you know what? I'll add all the other stuff to you so that you have sustaining, able to sustain life as well. Isn't that great? But it's what we put first. So food and drink and, and, and clothing is not wrong. It's just what you put. Come on. It's just what you put first. Isn't it? Um, and I was contemplating that and thinking, well, God, really, what does your kingdom look like? If it's not a 
physical kingdom of palace and mortar and brick. What your kingdom? And, and I started to just look at what Jesus, because Jesus spoke many times using this word first. He spoke a number of things that he said, this is what you need to do first. He was very practical in his, in his teaching. And, and I wanted to just draw that, attention, draw that to your attention this morning, because in the first, one of the things that he said in, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, he says this. Listen to this. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? And then he says, hypocrite, first remove, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. And then it goes on, and then you'll see clearly, oh, that's, I just said that, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry. So we see Jesus said, he said, do something first, didn't he? He says, there's something you need to do first in life when addressing and having relationships with other people. How easy is it to walk through life and sometimes see the speck of someone else's issues or problems or failings, and as you go through life, they'd fail to see that you actually probably do the same thing. It can be quite easy sometimes. I can find it easy to do, you know. I can get, up someone, get upset with someone who cuts me off in traffic, but then how many times have I done that to someone else? Hopefully not too many. I can't think of any. Amazing. <laughs> you know... I could get upset with my children about things they'd done, but the reality is, is that when I was a kid, I'd done the same things. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit, but the reality is Jesus says, you know, there's something that you need to put, put per, first. And what he was saying, he says, at least take the opportunity to, before you try to help someone else with their failings, to check your own heart. And, you know, when I find that I check my own heart about what I want to help someone else um, kind of walk through is when I check my own heart I have far I see the realities of my failings not necessarily the same thing as someone else but what I've done and then I have greater mercy and forgiveness levels to have a more balanced approach to how I can love and help someone isn't that true you see sometimes we read this passage and we think it's all about judgment we've got it you know don't judge anybody that's rubbish it's not about judgment we've all got to judge we all make judgments it's important. It's how you make the judgment that's really important in Jesus' eye. It's, it's how you make... You know, you've got to make a judgment. Um, remember there was a time when Jesus uh, was somewhere at the temple, I think, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the legalistic ones came to Jesus with the woman who was actually caught in the act of adultery. Adultery is actually... She was sleeping with a married man. That's um, adultery. And so they, so they brought her before Jesus and the law... They said to Jesus, well, she should be stoned for that. Um, and Jesus then in, um, done a couple things, but one thing he did do in the end, he said, because they got stones in their hands, I imagine, ready to throw at her. And he says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. Have a go. Come on, guys. If you're without sin, go for it. Because that's, if you're perfect, go for it. And of course... Every one of them dropped their stones and they walked away, didn't they? So what was happening was, as Jesus is saying, have a little consideration and reality check in your heart, guys. You're about to stone a lady, but have you ever, have you ever failed? Now, please understand, God is not asking us to continually focus upon our own failings. He's just asking you to have a, give a bit of an understanding because when you do, when you approach another person, you have more compassion, mercy and forgiveness and how to help them. 
And if all you do is approach them with a judgmental attitude of, you've got to get your act together, um, it never helps anybody. And this is the thing that God says, that's the kingdom of God. That's how we need to live our life. That's taking the opportunity. You see, um, that's what the kingdom looks like. Judging correctly is having wisdom to say, that's not right, while also having the understanding of my own misgivings to say, I have to show mercy and forgiveness. That's the kingdom, judging correctly. Correct judgment keeps me wise, but it also keeps me merciful. And when we have the king, that's the kingdom principle. I, uh, you know, as my daughters were growing up, um, of course, all of them had moments when I disciplined them. And, um, and when I disciplined them, thankfully, I had, um, I'd learned that uh, there's no good in disciplining your kids in anger. You've got to discipline them in love. And so uh, that's what I sought to do, you know, smack on the bottom, only one usually, but hard. And then if it was something that needed to be, and, and then I'd restore them and go into the room and I'd talk to them and then say, you know, I love you. And they go, yeah, sure. No, 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 they didn't say that. But um, they'd look at me and, and we'd kind of talk about it and we'd pray together. And I'd restore them. And it wouldn't be days later. It'd be pretty soon after I disciplined them. And, but, you know, I'd learned that, that, you know, they'd done something. So I judged them, but I'd have mercy and grace, you know, and I'd restore them. And the reason is, is because I'd, I'd done the same thing when I was a kid. <laughs> and I'd understood that. Now, that's not a, a point for me to condemn myself. It's just a reality of understanding how to love. And I've discovered through my life, even as I've pastored, that one of the greatest lessons for me personally is I've just sought to care for people is the fact that, you know, I can see the problem. But the reality is, is when I see the problem, I also need to realize that there goes me, but for the grace of God sometimes. Come, come on. And so my parenting skills, is, that isn't just good parenting, church. It's good kingdom principle. And, so God, and Jesus says, if you do that, the kingdom of God comes to earth through you. Here's another one of what Jesus said, put first. Um, if, he says, do you want to know what placing my kingdom first looks like? Matthew 23, 25 to 26. Here it is. How terrible for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You pretenders. That's a great word, isn't it? You pretend. Here's the verse I'm going to eventually read. You pretenders. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside you're full of greed. You only want to satisfy yourselves. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. He said, what do you do? He says, first clean the inside of the cup. Giving your attention to the inner person first before you give attention to the outer person. It's not that you don't look after the outer person. It's just that you're fighting a losing battle. It's getting old and wrinkly. Just accept the fact, okay? <laughs> Don't laugh, we're all old. Some of us are getting older and wrinklier. And you know, that's fine, isn't it? If you have it hard to put something else first because what's inside you is so much more important. Don't let the inside get old and wrinkly. It actually says it can be renewed every day. Your inside can go from glory to glory. You can be more youthful on the inside than you were at the age of nine and you might be 90 today. I love that thought. You might be jumping around like a, you know, like a nine-year-old, but you can have a heart for that. Hey, Amen. And you can get to the end of life, breathe your last, and still have a joy in your heart. 
And that's the inside of the cup being attended to because the outside won't give you that and that's the kingdom of God. What you put first. What you put first. People are being mesmerized by the outer appearance. I've mentioned it already. And all the trappings that go along with that attitude of the outward appearance. Why? If plastic surgery was going to... I praise God for plastic surgery. That's great. You never know. I might have a bit myself one day. But um, <laughs> I'm not really thinking about it, to be honest. It's okay. Um, and, you know, colour through the hair is great. I love that. But, you know, I haven't had it done myself. You never know. The truth is, if I come with black hair and all the wrinkles gone, you know, something's up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's okay. Some love it. Um, that's fine. But the reality is, oh, probably won't happen for me. Grey is okay. In actual fact, grey's in. More ladies are wearing grey. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Karen, how are you? Streaks at the other end. Good to see you. Um, yeah, that's it. I got my streaks. Grey is good. So. Jesus uses this illustration of the cup with the Pharisees, you know, because the Pharisees were incredibly focused on how they looked to other people. Their whole, their whole aim in life was to win the praise of men. The whole aim is to win the praise of men. And, and so we see this incredible working for the continual appraisal, working for, the, the, for men's um, praise. And, and it was a terrible, you know, it's a terrible burden to bear through life when you're continually living life, trying to please everybody else, but you're never attending to the inside of the cup. Uh, you know, the inside of the cup is so important. And, you know, uh, the, the Pharisees were careful to keep the outside very clean. They had the white cloth, you know, gowns on. They looked really good. The beards were trimmed. The hair was cut. They were very good at that. But the thing is, they they wanted the praise of men. And the truth is, they had 613 or thereabout different laws they needed to keep at any one time in, in their day or week. That's a lot of laws to try and keep, isn't it? Far out. So they had an outside cup cleaning, a lot of outside cup cleaning to do. <laughs> if you wanted to maintain all that stuff... Um, so, and I want to ask you yourself the question today, do you find yourself having trouble in keeping the outside of the cup looking good? If you do, don't worry about it because you need to give more attention to the inside. In actual fact, when you do, you'll find the outside starts to look after itself a lot better. You might lose, your, um, you might lose the fight with gravity. Everything starts to fall downwards like skin and wrinkles, but the reality is the smile is still in the heart and the joy is still, still in, sorry, the smile on the face and the joy in the heart is still there. And see, that's, the, that's what God said, that's the kingdom of God. That's putting that first. I have this cup at home. It's a little um, cup. Um, it's a tea and coffee cup. Some of you um, have come and had used it with great, great um, amusement to me, but sometimes not so much amusement to yourselves. And so I'll make a cup of tea for someone, and on the outside it's got this wording, godliness is next to cleanliness, which I'm not quite sure if there's a verse for that. But anyway, it says godliness is next to cleanliness, and you pick this cup up and drink your tea, and when you get to the bottom, there's a ceramic moth sitting in the bottom of the cup. And so as people drink it, they enjoy the tea, and all of a sudden they are aghast. And some people are really, really nice about it. They go... They, thinking, oh, I don't want to let him know that this, oh, I don't want, that'll be embarrassing. And they, they're not quite sure what to do, so they just keep on drinking it. Some kind of find a pot plant, go, you know, a lot of people. 
But the truth is, is when they find it ceramic, we all have a laugh, even if it isn't at first. People have different reactions. They're just testing you. So some get upset, some get funny, get see the funny side of it. But the reality is, is that the outside of the cup looks great. The inside is yuck, you know, even though it's ceramic and you won't get any disease from it. But the truth is exactly what Jesus was saying when he talked to the Pharisees. He said, inside, <laughs> you missed it, guys. Uh, D.L. Moody, a wonderful evangelist, he said, I'll take care of my, if I take care of my character, my reputation takes care of itself. You don't have to go justifying your reputation then, saying, well, I can do this and I can do it. No, you just got to take care of your character. If the, outs- if the inside's okay, the outside just starts to sparkle as well and it's okay. So we need to be careful. Here's a Another one this morning that Jesus says, you, you want to know what the placing my kingdom first looks like? You want to really know what it looks like? Here we go. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus says, this is another first. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, the non-Jewish people, they lord it over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be among you. Whoever desires to become uh, first... Have a desire to become great among you. Let him be your servant. In some versions, it's got whoever desires. Oh, let's keep on reading. Whoever desires to be first, verse 27. Actually, we should have went another verse. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your servant. In other words serve one another. Jesus is really just addressing, to to boil it down in a statement, he's really addressing selfishness here. That's what he's addressing. He's got another first. He says, this is what God's kingdom looks like. If you place yourself first, it's called selfishness, and it can become very destructive to you and to others. Selfishness. And with selfishness, there's pride and ego and every greed, everything else is wrapped up in there, isn't it? You know, um, it's a whole gamut of things that come under selfishness. Um, basically, some of the people have had an impact on this world are identified by how much good they've done or how much bad they've done, and it's really determined by their levels of self-absorption or selfishness. If I was to go back to World War II, 1938 to 1945, there were two men who were, who were, who were facing off across the English Channel. One was Winston Churchill, the British Prime Minister. Now, he was far from perfect, he was a bit of a grumbler, actually, but the reality is he had a heart for his nation to keep it alive. And if it wasn't for Winston Churchill, just have it. If you're under 40, that's okay. Let me give you the history lesson. He had a heart just to keep his people. There was another man on the other side of the English Channel, and his name was Hitler. And bless his heart, let's pray he committed his life to Jesus before he blew his brains out in a bunker. Probably suicide's not the best way anyway. But the reality is he had a heart to take everybody else out and let Germany become the greatest power on earth. In actual fact, it was pretty pretty much enveloped in a selfishness and a greed for thirst and a greed for authority. Um, And so we see Hitler with his self-absorption and Winston Churchill on the other side trying to battle uh, a heart for the people and a heart for other people. Praise God that this world would be a different world today if it wasn't maybe for Winston Churchill. Um, Actually, in the British people and the Australians and the, you know, the French and the Americans all came through and we won the Second World War. Praise God for that. I wish war wasn't at all necessary. But the fact is that you face a war within your heart. 
And, and one side of your heart sometimes is this, this thing that pops up every now and then about selfishness. It hops, pops up in my life. And look after number one. And then there's the other part. And the selfishness says you serve yourself, serve yourself, serve yourself. The other side that wars is this other part of giving over, not serving myself, of, of thinking of others first and caring for others and, and just putting myself aside. And even in actual fact that you really discover whether you're selfish or not when it hurts to serve someone else. You know, maybe it hurts in your time, in your money, you've got to give it. Maybe it hurts in, in other avenues that you just, just want to keep to yourself, but you've got to, you know if you go. That's when true passion and love for others really comes true, doesn't it? When you've got to sacrifice. I suppose Jesus is the ultimate example of that when he died on a cross. He was lived for others. But this war goes on, and I'm just glad. I just need to continue to let the Winston Churchills of my heart continue to win and not the Hitlers, because the Hitler wants to ultimately promises me everything but will destroy my life. Winston Churchill promises not, nothing but blood, sweat, and tears, but gives me life. And that's the difference. And that, folks, is when the Winston Churchills of your heart win, is when the kingdom of God is reflected in this world. See, um, once again, the wonderful evangelist D.L. Moody said, the measure of a person is not how many people serve them, but how many people they serve. Jesus himself says, himself says I've come to serve. Um, Paul said this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. What a powerful kingdom principle. Definition of selfishness is the act of placing one's own needs and desires above the needs and desires of others. And to seek after the desires that benefit ourselves with no thought of or others or their spiritual and physical needs. This week, um, on Tuesday night, I went and watched my daughter, my youngest daughter, play Lydia play netball. And halfway through the game, she rolls her ankle and sprains it. And, um, and she tries to get up, but she can't. So I go over and I literally lift her onto the bench and we start the ice it. We thought, oh, we're going to have to go up to emergency just to check that this thing is just a bad sprain and nothing else. Um, so we went up to emergency. At I think we got there about uh, quarter to seven. We finally saw the doctor at 11 o'clock. You know what I'm talking about. So, you know, I was willing to do that that night. I understood emergency isn't a place where you go and expect to be seen straight away. You've got to wait. We had to wait about three or so hours, three or four hours. Finally, we got in. I'm thankful we took her there because they x-rayed and there was a break. There's a little fracture in the bone in her, in her ankle, in her foot area there. And so they put a cast on her leg and, you know, um, and, and said, thankfully, it's nothing had to be manipulated. It just had to heal. It's just a fracture line. So praise God for that. We saw the good. We got home at midnight, went to bed. That was fine. So Lydia's gone to school all week. She's pretty keen, you know. And uh, we get to this Friday, Friday just two days ago. And, um, you know, she's got crutches, so she's been jumping around all week and doing what she normally does and enjoying life, trying not to step on her foot. She's been very good. She came to Friday after she came home from youth on Friday night from here at about half past nine. She says, Dad, this is not feeling good. I said, hop up in the bed and we have a look. And had a look and her foot looked swollen. And unfortunately, the cast had moved, had moved out of place and she said it's painful in there because the cast has moved a little bit and so I get on the cast 
I am the dad. I'm going to move this thing back into place. And I, and I might have eventually moved it just a couple of millimeters. And I said, hey, that'll do. I think it's good. She says, oh, I don't know, dad. I said, look, just rest up. I think the real problem is you've been on it. And you need to just elevate it and just have a rest. Because and, and, uh, the next day, Saturday, she wanted to go on school camp to Brisbane, you know. And so, uh, and I just said to her at half past nine, she says, let's go to the emergency again, Dad, and we'll let them check it out, and maybe they can take, cut the cast off and put a new one on, and, and, and I think that would help. And I, in, my, in my heart, I'm going, I am not going up to emergency again. <laughs> in my heart. I didn't say that to my daughter. I didn't want to show my selfish side. Um, so I said, I'm not going up to, you know, I just said, oh, honey, uh, let's just think it through. I think you just got to elevate it. It'll be right. Let me pray for it. Pray in the name of Jesus. Heal it. Oh, I think it's better already. She's looking at me going, okay. So, you know, this is half past nine, half past 10. She's still awake and it's still a, a bit of pain. Half past, you know, quarter to 11, it's still 11 o'clock. It's still not good. And I'm thinking, oh, just go to sleep, James. I think my conscience was working on me. Something is, and I'm thinking, I am not going up to that emergency. I don't care. I, don't, I am sick of sitting in a I stood four hours on Tuesday night. I'm not going to do another four hours. And look at the time. It's getting later all the time. I was justifying. My wife said to me, Michelle said, hey, do you think you should go? No, darling, I think it's going to be right. It's got, it's, I've got it. I've got it. It's going to be cool. Half past 11. I finally give in to my stupid selfishness. I say, Lydia, she's not asleep. She's in tears. <laughs> and I said to her, get dressed, darling. We'll go up to the hospital. So we... She gets dressed, I get dressed, Michelle goes to bed. I'm the dad, come on. Dads, man up. Got to go to emergency. So we get up there at about half past 11. Praise God, it wasn't four hours, it was an hour and a half. So, you know, at half past 11, what's that? It's one o'clock in the morning, we get to see the doctor. They're lovely doctors up there. She has a look at it. She says, yeah. She says, let's take it in. And wouldn't you believe it? At 11 o'clock that night, the same guy who put the last cast on came into work that night. So he was there. And, and the doctor said, yeah, let's take it off and put a new cast on. It looks like it's moved and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And so um, that's what happened. We got home at quarter to two. We were in bed by two o'clock. Lydia had a brand new cast on. It felt much more comfortable. The, the pain had gone away. The swelling was still there a bit, but it, it was improving and the color came back in the foot. It was no longer white without blood. It was actually looking a bit more, <laughs> you know, how I didn't see that before. <laughs> so, you know, I just want to say this. You know, folks, selfishness, you've got to kill it. And it's always difficult when you've got to kill yourself to kill selfishness. You've got to kill the attitudes, the selfishness in life. And Jesus said, when you go the extra mile, that's the kingdom of God. Let me finish. Our verse says it's not just the kingdom of God that needs to be placed first. As I said, it's the righteousness of God that needs to be placed first. And in Matthew 5.20, Jesus actually says, Unless your righteousness here exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. 
my righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? And if you were living in that day with the Pharisees, you would have, said, you would have known 613 different rules I've got to obey. I could never exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. But folks, the, the, the Jesus was saying, he wasn't talking about all the rules. He was talking about the only way to righteousness in God is coming to Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus Christ, he, you see that he actually died on a cross to take my penalty for my sin. And he gave me the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and receive his mercy and grace. And then his righteousness, because he was a perfect um, man, perfect man, perfect God, and he yet went to the cross to die for me. And when God looks at me, if God looked at me by myself, without Christ, he would see filthy rags, unrighteous. But when he looks at me, he chooses to look through the forgiveness I asked of Jesus, and he looks through Jesus and he sees me as righteous, because Jesus was righteous. And that's how we have the righteousness of God. And the trouble with us is, is that we continue to come out from under that covering of his righteousness and say, I'm right, I can do it myself. I can live life. I don't need God in my life. I'll find some other belief system, some other religion, some other thought process. But, you know, the truth is, is God looks at us and he can't help but see the filthiness of our life. It's not that he loves us any less. It's just that he wished you would come back under that covering of the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And so when God says it's his kingdom you need to put first, it's also his righteousness that you need to put first. Because you can't manage to get to heaven on your own. We need him. We need him. Can we stand this morning as the musos come? What righteousness are you living under this morning? I mean, you know, do, to be honest, even as a Christian, I just pop my life out sometimes under, and I just kind of live, oh, I'm good today, I've got it all together. And we have, and that's confidence and that can be faith. But sometimes you've got to be aware that don't let that attitude slip in that says, you know, it's all about what I can do. You know, it's all about what you can do in Christ, not apart from him. Not apart from him. And I wonder if you're here this morning, and, and you know, I find it hard work trying to keep all the rules of life. It just gets hard. Oh, you know, it's not that I don't want to do the right thing. It's just that you know, I, I, I ultimately slip up. But when I come to God, I just come and say, God, I'm sorry. Just blew that again. You know, like Friday night, just blew it there for a while. You know, when I was traveling to the hospital with Lydia, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. But I started to contemplate the message I was going to preach. <laughs> and as I contemplated what I should put first, all that anger and frustration went out of me. And I said, enjoy the journey and show your daughter something of God's incredible love and grow up, James. And so I did, I think, to some extent. And I think we all have to grow up sometimes. I think we all have to just say, Father, help me to put that. It's not that we won't have a temptation or it's not that we won't even slip. But as Christians, God just says, hey, just live, put my kingdom first in the way you think, in the way you act, in the way you live life. But 
as important as that, even more important is where we stand with God today. We, do we stand under his righteousness or do we stand under, I'm okay, I'll do it myself. Maybe today it's just an op- you need to just surrender to him right where you are. Right where you are this morning and just say yes to Jesus and his incredible sacrifice for us and God's righteousness. And say yes to Jesus. When you're saying yes to Jesus, you're saying, I just ask you for your forgiveness, God, and I just acknowledge you. I thank you that you willingly give me life and mercy and grace. And I I thank you that you gave me a hope and a future because of your death and resurrection means that I don't have to pay the penalty for where I've blown it, but you took it for me. That's what you're saying. You're saying, I I received that grace, that, that gift of salvation. I received that today. And maybe it's for the first time today, or maybe the truth is it needs to be um, again, that you need to say that today. Before we sing this song, I just want you just today to lift your hand. I'll acknowledge the hand. You can put it back down. And, uh, um, and I want to just pray. I want to pray for you. You can say, please pray for me. Just lift your hand today. Just before God. Thank you. Thank you. I see the hands. You can put it down. Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. Thank you, madam. Thank you, sir. It's four precious lives. Anybody else? We just wait for some moment. Okay. We won't prolong this. How about we just pray together? Can I lead you, particularly those who just um, put their hand up? This is the best I have. I, I know ultimately it's got to be your prayer, not mine. But make this, if it helps, make this your prayer today. And let's, let's share it together. Let's repeat it together. Let's make a prayer unto God together. And I know it's... A bit liturgical in the sense that I say it, you say it, you repeat after me, but make it something personal. So here we go. Heavenly Father today. Oh, we just need to hear you all together. Heavenly Father today. I come to you just as I am. But I thank you that you receive me. And I thank you that you want to help me change. Right now, I confess with my mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe what he did for me. And I ask for his forgiveness for the areas I've failed. I receive your salvation and your love and your mercy today. And I thank you that you are good and that your love for me is eternal. I receive that I am a child of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, today I thank you for every person, but I do specifically thank you for those people who responded. It's a sacred moment, Lord. It's a moment where you're just doing something special in hearts and lives today. It's not something we just gloss over, but it's a it's a celebration of life. And, that's, and where all of us have acknowledged that at different times in our life, that we just need Jesus. And, and people today have acknowledged it maybe for the first time or again today. So I pray you help them to walk in your ways. Not just, just pray a prayer, but they'll have a heart after you. Holy Spirit, continue to reveal yourself to them and how good our God is. And we thank you for this day that we've been able to share and fellowship and worship together in Jesus' name. And we commit ourselves to you, Father. And we ask for your strength. Because, Lord, we know the realities of living in this world. I slip, I fail, I even sometimes know I'm walking into something wrong and I purposely do it. Help me, Lord, just to say no. (laughs) Help me to walk in truth 
and sincerity, Lord, as your people so we can reflect your kingdom in this world. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said, amen. Let's have a great day. How about we just worship one more song this morning, and then we're going to have morning tea and encourage each other. That'd be brilliant. Come on. Come on, team. Lead us in that great song.